All right, welcome to Bible class. Everybody got your notes and everything? Anybody need anything? You're good to go. All right, so let's get into message number 22 of our Genesis study. I, I enjoy going through this book, um, any, any book of the Bible, but you know, when you go through a book of the Bible, the, the, the text kind of dictates what you're going to talk about. And uh, we're going to be this Sunday, excuse me, this Wednesday and next Wednesday on uh, a couple subjects we wouldn't normally necessarily talk about. And we're going to talk about Sodom a little bit. Uh, what's happening in Sodom. We're going to talk from the subject today about praying for Sodom. So we're going to be in Genesis 18 tonight and then Genesis 19 next week. So if you'll go ahead and read ahead, I think it'll be a blessing to you and just just help you prepare. All right, so Genesis 18 and 19 addresses some really tough and disturbing issues and things that were in Abraham's day, but these things are still alive and, and uh, really progressing in our day as well. So in chapter 18, you're going to see, we're not going to do much of a review here, so we're just going to jump right into chapter 18, got a lot to cover. Uh, chapter 18 starts with these three supernatural heavenly visitors that come. And uh, all, all three of these visitors, they look like normal men, but what? If, if you read ahead, what, what, what was different about them? Oh, they, were, they were angelic beings. Actually, two of them were an, angels, and one of them was who? One of them was the Lord. So, uh, and it's interesting that they, they look normal, but... but Nobody treated them normal because there must have been some kind of weight or glory or presence that they carried that people would come into their presence. They just knew this was something different. Abraham knew right off. He knew right off that something was different. Now, notice in, in the Bible, just, this is just a little side note, just as you're reading the Bible. You know, in a lot of our art, it kind of happened in some of the classical period and stuff. In a lot of our art, if you have angels that are drawn, they, they have halos or they have wings and things like that. But angels in the Bible always seem to show up in human-like form. They seem to show up like humans uh, when, when they're manifested. So uh, not sure what they look like in the spirit realm. But every, even, even when they kind of showed up as like spiritual beings, they, they just look like people, you know. Uh, so it, it's just interesting how, how things have evolved in the art world kind of deal. But these, these three supernatural visitors come to Abraham and Sarah. So chapter 18 begins with good news. They're going, Abraham and Sarah are going to get the news that they've been longing for. And then by the time we get to chapter 19, it ends with a horrific judgment. and ends in a, in a great warning for all of humanity that, that would come thereafter. So let's look at chapter 18. So these three heavenly visitors, okay, two angels and the, and the Lord manifesting themselves in the flesh. Okay, so let's, let's get in here and let's look at... 18, 1 through 5, as we open up our, our text this evening. All right, you got it? There we go. Can you read that? It says, Then the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And if you've ever been in that region of the world, you know that's a real statement right there, the heat of the day. Last time I was in that region, it was about 128 degrees. And that, that was in the shade, as they say, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> People used to argue about that. Well, that's in the shade. That's in the sun. Well, what, where, where are we? We're just outside. So he's, he's by, under the tree in the shade in the heat of the day, and these visitors come. So he lifted his eyes, and he looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. You see, his response right away is, is something of, of honor and respect. And he said, My Lord... If I have found favor and now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll bring a morsel of bread 
that you may refresh your hearts after that you may pass by. And as much as you have come to your servant, they said, do as you have said. So, all right. So Abraham and Sarah have these visitors that, that come. And now they, they're going to fix them a little meal. We're not going to read that part of the, the section. But they take a lot, of, a lot of time here. And Sarah goes and makes some bread. And they, they kill a calf. They're going to have a good barbecue there. So they prepare a meal for these visitors. And now these visitors have come to deliver good news to Abraham and Sarah. The promise that they've been waiting on and longing for is now going to be fulfilled. They've gone through a long struggle. We've kind of walked through them with this struggle, right? From, from the time they went into Egypt after the promise with the famine and all that. And then they had the little deal with Hagar and all that kind of stuff that, that they've been struggling with all this whole journey of, of faith and life and trying to work this thing out. Now we're 25 years, just about 25 years. And now what was spoken is about to come to pass. All right. So it's a big moment. This is a big turning point for, for Abraham and Sarah and human history. So let's, let's read some of that. Let's read 10 through 15. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. Now, this is the, the Lord, the, the angel of the Lord, the, the Lord himself. He said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, nine months or so. And behold, Sarah, Sarah, your, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, now Sarah's, Abraham's like almost 100. Sarah's around 90. Okay, so that just, that'll make a little sense of her response here. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. Well, it should say Abraham was old and Sarah was well advanced in age if we were being proper, right? <laughs> and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. And therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. That boy ain't got no more fire in the stove. What's happening here? <laughs> And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? And here's a great statement right here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's, that's what he looks at her and says, he, he says it to Abraham and her, is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer to that question? No. no. And at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Because it, it said that back up here, was was said, uh, therefore Sarah laughed within herself. So so the, Abraham and, and the Lord are in the, in the front talking, the tent door is right here. And she could overhear, and he says, Sarah's going to have a baby. And you know what she did? <laughs> that sounds funny. You know, so you kind of laugh. You know how that works. You, you hear some news like that, and you would laugh within yourself too, probably. So, all right. But Sarah denied doing that, saying, I did not laugh. Well, I mean, you got these impressive angels in there. You're not going to have any confrontation with them. So she just said, no, hey, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, interesting thought. I don't know if you remember, I think it was last week, week before, Abraham got the news he was going to have a son. They were going to call him Isaac. And he laughed. 
And that's Isaac's name, actually. Isaac's name means laughter, right? Or he laughs. So, so here, here, here we got Abraham laughed, but Abraham had a little different kind of laugh. Abraham's laugh was like one of joy. It seems is the way the text seems to portray it. Now, Sarah's laugh is a little bit more of like a little bit of disbelief in this deal, you know. But here, here's the deal. I, I, I like this because God's merciful to us, isn't he? Because we're all in different spots in this faith journey and in our understanding of God and his work in our life. Uh, sometimes we hear what God's doing and we laugh for joy and say, yes and amen, it's wonderful. And sometimes you do this and say, oh, yeah, that'll be great. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> and that's kind of what she, where she's at. So they're going to have the baby. The promise is about to be fulfilled. So they get the good news they've been waiting on. Now, I don't know about you, but 25 years is a long time to wait on something, isn't it? That's a long time. Mm-hmm. And some of us have been waiting on some stuff about that long, you know? All right. So now, now Sarah, or, or excuse me, the men, in verse 16 right here on the screen, then the men rose from there, these angels rose from there and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. So the, the, the dinner's over. Now they're getting ready to go take care of some other business. And they're headed which direction? Towards Sodom. Okay, now at this point in the story, what we picked up, what do we know? Tell me, what do we know about Sodom? It's a wicked place already. The, kind of the word's already out on it. What else do we know about Sodom? What, how else has it popped up in the story? Lot lives there with his family, right? A lot, that's the place where Lot looked out and said, man, that looks like the garden of the Lord, remember? Mm-hmm. And he, he chose to pitch his tent towards Sodom. He, he moved in that direction. And then next thing you know, we're going to find out later in chapter 19, he's living in Sodom, you know? What else do we know? You remember that this, well, you've, you've already said some of these, all right? Genesis 13, 13, what you just said, Miss Pat. But the men of Sodom, the, the commentator just lets us know as they're writing, the narrator talks, he says, Lot was going towards Sodom, and he says, uh-oh, look out now. This is, this is a little, little flashpoint in the story. It says, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So we know that about Sodom already. So the, the, the story is letting us know that this is a catastrophic decision for Lot to go towards Sodom. That's where that context is given in 13. So you also said Lot and his family lived there, Right? They live there. That's going to be prominent in the next chapter. Abraham has also rescued the people of Sodom. Remember that? Remember when the the kings from the north came down and took all the people captive? Well, they were the people of Sodom. And Abraham went and rescued them all and set them all free, which may explain why Lot has so much favor in Sodom because they, they honored Abraham and honored Lot because of that. So Abraham has rescued the people of Sodom. He's had interaction with the king of Sodom. Remember that? He talked to the king of Sodom just right before he talked to Melchizedek. And the king of Sodom said, hey, you, you can keep all that stuff. Just give us the people back and all that kind of thing. And, and you know, what did Abraham say to him? He said, well, I don't, I don't want nothing from you, man. Mm-mm. You take it all. You ain't going to say you bless me. <laughs> we, we're going to get this. I think Abraham knew something wasn't right about this, this crew. Something wasn't right about Sodom. All right, so now, 17, 18, 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. God is getting ready 
in the flesh, walking in the flesh. He's getting ready to go towards Sodom, and he's got some serious catastrophic judgment-type business to deal with with Sodom. And he stops in his tracks as he's going. It's like he's like he's getting ready to go. And he said, you know what? We need to let Abraham in on this deal. We need to, it's just interesting to me that God would feel that way, right? So it's, we get again this idea of partnership, that this is what faith is about. Faith is not just about us believing a set of creeds or whatever. It's, it's about us partnering with God again. It's about us coming back into right relationship as the image and likeness of God to where we become his partners in the earth. And that's what God wants with Abraham. It speaks of partnership and friendship. In fact, Abraham is the man in the Bible that is known as the friend of God. So God's, going, God's treating him at this point in their relationship. God's treating him like a friend. Kind of like a man would do a, a grown son or something like that. that I'm going to share this with you, what I'm about to do. All right? In verse 20 and 21. This is what the Lord says to Abram, Abraham. Now I'm going to go back to calling him Abram. My bad. <laughs> Y'all know who I'm talking about. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Now, it turns out there's, there's like four or five cities that's going to be on the, basically on the judgment blocks here. Sodom and Gomorrah, the two prominent ones. Because the outcry of, against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, that's just interesting wording there, isn't it? That, that God would come down. They would say, it would say it like that to try to find something out. All right, so now that's some, that's some pretty rough words right there, isn't it? About this place. God's got it in. He's, he's heard a cry out of that city. And their, their sin is grave. Grave. All right, so, so what's an outcry? What did God hear? What did God hear? I mean, God, God literally says, I mean, have we we've come across anything where something has happened and God heard something that was kind of strange that nobody else seemed to hear? We have another Bible story about that. Hagar. Remember, well, he heard Hagar in the desert. That's for sure. Well, that's in the Bible, too. I mean, here, here's their cry all throughout. It's very possible trying to get out of Dodge kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very, it's very, 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 very possible. But you, what's that? Yeah, the children of Israel in Egypt, they, they heard, they heard, God heard the cry of Egypt. The children of Israel in Egypt, he heard their cry. First of all, they, they said they cried. Then, then the next time, they said they cried out to God. They cried out. But, did but, you think there was anybody that resided in the cities that called it basically their own, even though it was all destroyed? Mm-hmm. But was there maybe some in there that knew it was wrong? Well, even when there's a bunch of sinners in the group, somebody's getting done wrong. Yeah. You know, somebody's getting done wrong, even if it's not necessarily a good person. They may be doing each other wrong. Ain't no doubt about it. So, so this this outcry we we've heard we heard this one time before that from the blood of Abel. Remember that? Yeah. It was spilled on the ground, and and it's like the blood of Abel cried out to God, and and God heard that injustice. God heard that. 
what, whatever he hears in the spirit, he heard that. So it's outcry. It's, it's a wail. It's a mourning. It's a cry of distress, a cry for help, uh, especially from those who are oppressed, especially for those who are in trouble. Okay. Here, here's my theory. Now, this is my theory. I've never heard anybody else say it, so I, I, I always proceed with caution on those kind of things. But here, here's what I think. And we wrap in something Peter said about Lot, that his soul was vexed every day when he was in Sodom. He called him righteous Lot. That, that, that all the stuff that was going on. So I wonder, now this is all speculation. I don't know for sure. But I wonder if it was Lot who was the one crying out. Because that place was a living mess. And he was raising his family in this, this uh, basically, it just hell on earth, really, is what it's going to become. You know? So uh, it's it very possible. But it, it could have been just all the injustice all the way around. Because wherever there's gross immorality, there's always injustice. There's no doubt about it. All right, so grave is the idea of serious, right? So it's severe. Their, their sin is severe. It's not just a, a, a little thing. It's, it's very heavy. It's heavy. That's the idea, right? And we know that the wages of sin is what? The, I mean, the paycheck, you can just bank on it. The paycheck for sin is always death and, uh, and destruction. For the sinner, it's, it's certain death. But also for those that are affected, there's death that creeps in in all kinds of different ways and, and different, different degrees and things of that nature. In, in this case, sin had saturated the entire culture of that city. It absolutely had saturated it. Okay. And you know, uh, got to note here that sin has a snowball effect. It just keeps growing. It keeps getting worse from generation to generation unless somebody finds a place of forgiveness to be able to stop it. That's the only hope we got when it comes to sin. So what did God hear? He heard this outcry. Now Ezekiel has some interesting commentary about why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, this is interesting. Just, just make some notes here. We've got some fill in the blanks for you. Ezekiel says this, 49, or 16, 49 and 50. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. He's going to say this is why God destroyed Sodom. All right. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. That would be probably some of that outcry right there. A lot of poverty in that place. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. This is Ezekiel speaking for the Lord. You see all that? That's, that's quite a list there, isn't it? Ezekiel says this is why God, because of their pride. They're pride against who? Especially against God, for sure. The fullness of food is that they, had, they were prosperous people, but they misused their prosperity. Just, they just consumed it on, on themselves. That's the idea. An abundance of idleness. What's abundance of idleness? What's that? Lazy. Laziness. Lazy people didn't want to work. They didn't take care of the poor and the needy properly. Okay, they just made the, a bad situation even worse. They were haughty. It's another idea of pride, and they committed abomination. Hmm. That's a big Bible word. Now that's that's a big Bible word. The word abomination. That that is something that is absolutely that's that's uh, that's don't cross this line stuff right there. Now, when you see that word abomination, it, it almost always speaks of one of two things. 
Abomination almost always speaks of either idolatry or having other gods, false gods, other gods, no matter what, other gods, little g. That abomination. Or it speaks of some kind of sexual perversion. And these things are literally detestable to the Lord. That's what the idea of abomination is. The sexual immorality, especially concerning uh, same-sex unions and things of that nature. Homosexuality, lesbianism. That The scripture is absolutely pinpoint clear that these things are abomination to the Lord. No, I don't matter how we think about them in the 21st century. It doesn't make any difference. That these things are detestable to God. And they will have severe consequences both in this life and in the one to come for sure. All right. So that is now all this stuff here now. What's that remind you of? Is that a picture of anything else you know about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because see, this is where the world goes when it gets away from God. This is just where most everybody goes. They go into self-centeredness. They go into all this selfishness and oppression. Don't want to work for what they got. Don't care about nobody but themselves. And they get off the path and they serve other gods. Uh, so in our world, it's, in, in America, it's the God of self, isn't it? Self-indulgence, really. Hmm. And, of course, I don't have to tell you about all the sexual stuff that's going on. Another thing, he don't call it an abomination, but Jesus said that anybody that harms a child thrown into the sea. Mm-hmm. Now that's what's happening in our today. Yeah, that's a, that's certainly something he 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 doesn't um, take lightly for sure, for sure. So you kind of get a little different picture of what what is life is like in Sodom. Okay. Now we know about the sexual stuff because that's that's where we got the word sodomite from. It's actually named after the city. Okay, that kind of deal. Genesis eighteen twenty two. Then the men turned away from there. They're going to leave Abraham and they went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Okay. So you see the two angels parting away. They're going towards Sodom and, and the Lord stands there and talks to Abraham. And I, I don't, I don't know how you read the Bible, but that impresses me. I mean, you think about it, a man is just standing right there before God in the flesh. God has appeared to him and he's talking to him. That, I, I don't read those things lightly. I just try to look. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And, and they had this convicting conversation. And it's quite fascinating to me. They had this prayer conversation. Okay, let, let's read some of that. It is absolutely fascinating. I think God's got some principles for us to, to learn out of this deal. 23 through 28. All right. 23 through 28. So they're standing there before him, and, and Abraham came near. Okay, so it's kind of like he's standing there, and he, he takes maybe a step or so towards the Lord and says, let me ask you something. <laughs> Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? That's a good question, isn't it? Now, he's talk, who's he talking to now? You know, just get some appreciation for what he's saying here because of who he's saying it to. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? 
So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now I am, I am but dust and ashes and take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose that there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He's treading on what, what mama called thin ice. You know, he, he, he <laughs> suppose 20 should be found there. And so he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose then, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Now that's a pretty interesting conversation. Wouldn't you say? That, that's, that's, it just fascinates me when I think about how he talked to the Lord. So, so he prays, he, he pleads. He pleads with God on behalf of the people of Sodom. Now again, what do we know about Sodom? It is exceedingly wicked and has great sin against the Lord. Okay? So he goes from this 50, he goes all the way down and kind of lowers it down to 10. He stops at 10. Why do you think he stopped at 10? I've always wondered that. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's all speculation, but why, why do you think he stopped at 10? We don't know. I think he's thinking about, well, at least there's 10 over there, at least lots of families over there, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? God's certainly not going to do that. He, he, uh, he always will separate the wheat and the chaff, you know. Let, let's get some ideas right here, some, just some, some thoughts. I, I think I have three or four of them here. What Abraham does, and, and I believe this is why God was so pleased with him, and this is what people of faith do. Abraham steps into the role of a priestly intercessor. Okay? He steps into this gap. Abraham doesn't want to see it destroyed. He knows what that means. For that matter, God doesn't want to see it destroyed. God wants people to turn right. But he, he takes this role of this intercessor, this mediator, this priestly intercessor. He becomes this priest who sees the gap that's there and he stands uh, literally uh, between Sodom and the Lord. And he begins to pray and ask for God's mercy to be upon these people. He sees this gap and he tries to build a bridge to make a difference. And this is what a priest does. It represents God to man and man to God. Okay, so he, he's doing that. He's taking this priestly role. This is what he does. Now, this is where it applies to us. This is part of our calling in Christ Jesus. This is part of it. First Peter 2, 9 says this about us as believers. That we are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. A holy nation, his own special people that we have been call, called to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this, this idea, we're, we're, as the body of Christ, we're called to be a royal priesthood. Again, we're, we're called to, if there's a gap, 
Between God and people, we're to stand in that gap and help bring it back together. On their behalf, and sometimes we represent God in the situation, sometimes we represent people in the situation. That's really what prayer is, isn't it? We just took a bunch of prayer requests. Okay? So what are we going to do with those? We're going to take those to the Lord on those people's behalf. So we just called out their name. That says priestly. That's, that's part of this royal priesthood duty that we have the honor and privilege to have audience with God. And we, we stand in the gap on behalf of the folks that were sick and lost loved ones and grieving and going through difficult times. And that, that's, that's what, you, you, there's a gap there. All right. And sometimes God's got a mission that he wants to accomplish. So we, we're talking to him about our purpose and our mission. That's priestly too. So we can help other people. All right. This is what Abraham does. This is what we're called to do. All right. The second thing here. He, he hum, did, you, did you recognize his humility in all of that? He was really kind of almost tripping over himself a little bit. Wait, wait, now, I'm just dust now. I know I, I, what. But at the same time, he's humble, but he's pretty bold. He's pretty confident about this deal, isn't he? So there's this mixture of humility and confidence as he approaches God on behalf of Solomon. In fact, it's, it's some legal terminology in, in the, uh, the original language. He stands almost like a defense attorney. That would come and stood before a judge. That's what it says. He stood before the Lord. Okay. Something has happened in Abraham's life to where he has, his faith has grown. He's a long ways from the days of Egypt and, and all of that kind of thing. He's a long ways from that. When, when this thing started 25 years ago, his faith has grown to where now he can be bold and confident and yet still remain humble before God. Okay. Now listen to what Hebrews says about that. This is talking about us with this new covenant that Christ has made on our behalf. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because of our high priest, there's that priestly language again, because of our high priest, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You see, he's doing that. Abraham was doing that. This is what people of faith, we have access to God like this. We can come confidently, but we can also come boldly. Now, we don't come disrespectfully. You need to mix some humility in that. Don't remember who we're talking to. But when we come, we come to the throne of grace. And when we come, we find mercy. And we're going to get help. Amen. All right. Third thing he does. He prays for the ungodly pagans of Sodom. And one thing we're going to find next week, Sodom is kind of one of those words that Scripture uses to describe the lowest of depravity, the lowest of immorality. He prays for the ungodly pagans. All right, Not, not just praying for his family. That's, that's certainly appropriate to do. Not just praying for his family or his own interests. Although that's in the back of his mind. He knows lots in that direction. Okay. He prays for the ungodly pagans. Notice he didn't bring Lot up into the conversation, did he? He didn't even bring his name up. This wasn't time to talk about just what he felt. This is where I see that God, we need to ask God to enlarge our hearts. Because most of our prayer life and most of our, our ministry world is just surrounded with just our immediate circles. But here Abraham takes it upon himself to pray for the ungodly. Mm, that's important. A couple questions right here. Because who will pray for those who don't know God? You don't know it, but every week 
on the little yellow pad. Miss Pat takes a picture of it, sends it to me. Or Paul does. Let's say it like that. Miss Pat don't know how to use that phone. <laughs> but they sent it. But, but before she, almost always, somewhere on that pad, she has on there lost souls everywhere. Oh, every week. Because who's going to pray for those people that don't know God? And you know, this, I kind of, and you hate to say it, but I think God looked forward in time and he knew that, that this was once again going to be a prevalent problem going mm-hmm. on right now and just reiterate that we should oh, yeah. reach out and pray. Mm-hmm. I ain't no doubt it's a, it's a huge warning for our day. In fact, we'll, we'll get into it next week about the warning because Jesus speaks about all this too. He's, he's got a he's got three-letter three sermon, or three-word sermon that he says about all that. Remember Lot's wife. That's, and that takes you into the whole story. You know? So who's going to love their enemies? You know what? We're we, we, we lo- supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love our neighbor, the person that's near to us. But Jesus talks some crazy stuff about loving your enemies, the folks that are coming at you and coming against you. And why do we love them? So the, the kingdom of God will come into their lives. Because if we just engage them on the same level they're on, ah, that's not going to help anything. Is it? It's just going to make it wax worse and worse. Right? I mean, loving your enemies is a, is a primary strategy that God uses to bring, pe- bring people to salvation. Because guess who had to do that the most of all? Jesus himself, right? And that's tough. That's, that's tall medicine. That's, 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 that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? To love those who are coming at you. To, to those who despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you. Jesus talked about that. Okay, that's Matthew 5 if you want to look it up. So God's heart is this. He, he's praying for these pagans now. God's heart is this. Ezekiel thirty three eleven says this. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's the only thing God wants out of people. God's not want to light that place up like a bonfire. He don't want to do that. Turns out he will. Turns out he can. Turns out he does. But that's not his heart. He didn't want, he's, the Holy Spirit's coming in today's world. He's drawing people to repentance saying, please, please, please stop this. Please come, please come back to God. God wants people to turn and live. Second Peter 3, 9 says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us. You know, what God puts up with us, he's long suffering. That's part of his love. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why do you think it's been 2,000 years since Jesus has promised to return but has not yet? Why is he taking so long? Well, because of this truth right here. He, he, he's wanting to bring as many souls in as he can. Just bring as many into the harvest as he can. Because God knows something about hell that you don't know about. That it's for real, for real. You know? And it's hot and it's long. So this is God's heart. He doesn't he didn't enjoy the, the destruction of the wicked at all. And the fourth principle right here, and I think the last. Abraham knew this. He knew that God would spare the wicked because of the righteous. He knew this principle. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? 
He's like, God, I know that's not, that's not your way. And here, here, here's where this picture points us to Christ right here. All right. Because this is where the good news is. Is because by one man's disobedience in Romans 5, 19, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And the righteousness of Jesus is what saves us. So I often think, I wonder why Abraham didn't go down to one. Well, he knew that there would not be one man in Sodom that could carry the weight of all that righteousness and wickedness. And that there would not be until he sent Jesus. Abraham kind of knew that too. I think he knew it in, in kind of a, a shadowy kind of way. Yeah, Abraham yeah. Mm-hmm. But but you see what I'm talking about? You, 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 do you know why we're going to be spared in the day of judgment? It's because we have found the righteous one and he has covered us. And will God destroy the wicked because of the righteous? Or will he destroy the righteous with the wicked? No, the wicked can actually find a place to run into the name of the Lord and be saved. All right. So that's the good news. Abraham kind of knew that principle. He kind of knew that. A couple last things here. How are we going to pray for the ungodly? I believe it's the good news. The good news of Jesus and his righteousness that's been extended to us. That It helps us tremendously. You see, the good news, the gospel, first of all, it humbles you. The gospel doesn't make any bones about it that you and I are sinners in need of a Savior, that there is none righteous, no, not one. The gospel makes that very clear, doesn't it? Jesus makes that very clear. So, so the gospel, first of all, before it ever does anything else, it humbles you. It knocks you off your high horse, and it says you are not superior to anyone. Hmm. Not even the people of Sodom. You realize that? Not even the rankest sinner that you can think of. Not even the ungodly. You are superior to no one. So here's the question. How, how could you be unmerciful to other people if you realize who you really are in God's sight? So the first thing, the gospel humbles us, but then it does something other. It, it lifts us up. It exalts us. And, and not only are we sinners, but now because of Christ's righteousness, we become the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus, through Christ. So you got two opposite things happening here. You, you get knocked down a pig and you're, you're a low life sinner. And the gospel comes and says, hey, I'll make you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'll put you seated in heavenly places. There are all kind of exalted things that the gospel does for us. So we're not superior to anyone. But up here, I'm not inferior to anyone either. You see what I'm talking about? So Paul, Paul kind of gets that. Paul, Paul knows that you need both of those attitudes. You need this attitude that's knocked you down on the peg, and you need this attitude that's exalted you and told you who you really are in God. You need that. We've got to have both of them if we're going to be that royal priesthood that's going to stand in those gaps now. Because it, this, this gospel, this gospel message of us coming into the righteousness of Christ, it cures our superiority complexes. That pride, that haughtiness that destroyed Sodom. It cures that. It gets it out of your soul so it don't destroy you. It cures our superiority complex and it kills our inferiority complex. And I'm not to look down my nose at anybody, but I don't have to look up at anybody either. 
somebody said it like this. One of the old preachers said that at, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level for everybody. Right? So Paul kind of knew this. Remember, Paul, Paul said that he was the chief of sinners. This is towards the end of his life. This wasn't when he was on the road to Damascus. This was towards the end of his life. He was the chief of sinners. But he also said he was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So which one is it? And the answer is, yes. <laughs> it's both, right? It's both. It's that tension. He was a sinner. You can't, once you sin, you can't, I think it's happened, but you need to repent and turn yeah, so he, 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 he remembers the gutter he crawled out of, but he also remembers the throne God's put him on. And you got to do both. They say a lot of times about athletes that go and sign these big contracts. And they, they all, y'all hear, hear this saying all the time. Don't forget where you came from. Because what, what's the tendency? When you get exalted what, or prospered or whatever, what's the tendency? You, you get all high and mighty and prideful, don't you? That's just a human tendency. That's a sin tendency. Okay. So, Abraham prays for Sodom. And beloved, I'm going to tell you, we've got to pray for the ungodly to come to Christ. Some of them are connected to us, family members. I got a bunch of them, don't you? Loved ones. And somebody's got to stand in that gap. That's what people of faith do. That's what Abraham, he's the father of faith. He's teaching us how to do this right now. We've got to stand in that gap. And pray for the ungodly. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand how it works. I just know it works. That it's hardly anybody that comes into the kingdom. Unless somebody prays for them. I, I, I just know that to be like almost a universal law. People only come into the kingdom through other people's efforts. Now God can do what he wants to do now. But it seems like he always works through people. To get other people into the kingdom. You know that to be true? You're not here by accident. I mean, my mama ain't no telling how many tears she cried over my lousy self. How many prayers she's prayed. My grandma. I preached my grandmother's funeral. And I cried like a baby. She was so good to me. And they, 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 I mean, her heart was so good towards me. And I cried like a baby standing there. And I said, God, who is going to pray for me now? You know what I'm talking about? Thank God he's raised up other folks and all that kind of thing. But I, I mean, I felt that. I felt that leave my life in one sense. And, and Now, God didn't leave me, so I wasn't forsaken. But I mean, I, I knew there was something different now. Because those two ladies, especially those two ladies, that's the reason I'm in the kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? You know, telling how, and, and I probably could go through this room one by one, and, and, and you'd tell me to somebody. Somebody's got to stand in that gap. We, we don't want that fire to fall on them, that's for sure. So Abraham is going to please God with his stance in this, but it's still the people of Sodom's responsibility to do what they're supposed to do. But see, here, here's where I want us to be, because we know how the story turns out. The story doesn't turn out good for them. But do you think God was pleased with Abraham's heart? That's what he's looking. He's not looking for you just to change the world. He's looking for you to change your heart towards the people around you. And it's important. Because how will they know unless we tell them? How will they know? 
And hey, it's real easy, and I'm guilty. It's real easy to get perturbed about all the ungodliness. And I find myself getting mad every day. But somebody's got to stand in that gap and pray for them. You know what I'm talking about? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Ah, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Forgive us, first of all, for just that hardness that gets in our spirit sometimes. Lord, we, we see a lot of things going on in the world that's not good. A lot of things we don't agree with and shouldn't agree with. But Lord, as I read through this the last few days, I've, I've been convicted myself just to find that gap and stand in it more. Just to find that place that would honor you and possibly even save a soul. Help us to find that place of prayer, that place of intercession, that place of ministry, and to be that royal priesthood that you called us to be. I thank you for our friend Abraham, Lord, that's shown us a path to walk. But more importantly, Lord, I thank you for the path you walked and what you've shown us. And that it's by your righteousness that we're saved. And may we let the world know that. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us in our faith. Strengthen us in our commitment. And Lord, let a great harvest come through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.